You're listening to the Reinvest Podcast, where each Tuesday we will show you how to reclaim, reconnect, and refocus your life by bringing you the top real estate professionals in the industry. We'll pull back the curtain so you can implement these tools and tactics to build generational wealth. Your hosts, Garrett Gatton and Seth Simonillo. All right, guys, thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Reinvest Podcast, where we get the honor, nay, the privilege, <laughs> to show you guys how to maximize your life through the power of real estate investing. We're hardcore real estate guys, and whenever the topic of diversification comes up, we often think of a different asset class within real estate. <laughs> but you're that's like, oh, you want to diversify? Yeah, why don't you try self-storage? You know what I mean? <laughs> Still real estate. So today we've got somebody that's going to help us really get outside the real estate box, but still very connected and related. Uh, John Austinson uh, with, let me say this right, Fran Bridge Consulting. Is that right, John? Got it. Awesome, man. Well, thanks for joining us today. And uh, we're excited to pull back the curtain on franchises and then maybe kind of debunk some misnomers of what franchises are and what they aren't. Um, specifically, though, tell us about your company. You've niched yourself as a non-food franchisor, franchisee consultant. So give us a little context. Yeah, absolutely. I appreciate you having me on the show. And, you know, like so many of your listeners, I, I do invest in real estate as well. That's a piece of my portfolio. And, you know, right now there are only so many good real estate deals to be had. So we do see record levels of people getting involved in, in business ownership through franchising. And, you know, in some cases they're taking more of an active owner approach. In other cases, it's more of an investor approach, you know, which we can touch on. But um, no, I, I get the privilege. You know, I've been a franchisor myself. So I've been on that side of the table. I personally own about five different franchises. So I'm a franchisee. Um, yeah, but I've got good people running them. It allows me to do what I do on a day-to-day -day basis, which is you know, represent over 600 different franchise companies, helping people, investors, and entrepreneurs get plugged into the world that I've dubbed non-food franchising. So obviously, when you hear the word franchise, you immediately think of fast food. And yeah, yet what I found is... <laughs> But but ninety five percent of our of our clients want something to do you know outside of food and you know there's I appreciate those that get involved in food we certainly need them but my humble belief is there's just easier ways to make money in yeah. all of these other industries which we'll touch on today I agree I was in the food industry it just sounds like it it, it is a hard business so yeah. it um especially when you're dealing with any perishable goods at any business, it's a hard business. I will say it's sexy though. It's kind of like, oh man, I want to start a Chick-fil-A. I want to start a pita pit. You know, it's like you think of bringing that to your community, but it is a different animal. So I guess unpack that a little bit. How did you land on the non-food aspect of franchising? Yeah. You know, when I left the corporate world about seven, eight years ago, I had the opportunity to step in as president of Shelf Genie Franchise System and you know, it's custom plot shelving for kitchens and pantries. And for me, that was a pivotal experience. I It opened my eyes to this world of non-food opportunities, you know, in opportunities in these other spaces. And I just saw how so many different backgrounds, whether it be doctors or lawyers or corporate executives or current business owners, were able to get involved in business ownership uh, or expand their portfolio in some cases uh, through franchising. And so that was eye-opening to me. And what I found was you know, it's eye-opening to others as well. And so right. I do a lot of speaking on the topic, have the book that just came out called Non-Food Franchising, which I'm happy to give to all of your uh, listeners if they come out to our website um, at FranBridgeConsulting.com. Um, awesome. But no, you know, it's it's all these other industries that you know may have more of a variable cost model. They're very scalable. They may be one where you can put a manager in place and kind of co-manage the manager with that franchisor, let them go to the franchisors, that technical resource. You know, and you mentioned sexy. 
what I found is non-sexy is the new sexy. You know, it, <laughs> it's non-trendy is the new trend. And, uh, you know, it's boring businesses, as I call them. It's home and property services, you know, which tie in so well to real estate. You know, at least 75% of our clients, um, you know, own real estate as well. I mean, again, I personally own real estate. I think that's hugely important. I love all the aspects of real estate, all the tax right. benefits and such, but there are also a lot of tax benefits in business ownership and um, a lot of things you can do that you couldn't do, uh, you know, just passively in real estate or as a W-2 employee, which, you know, again, can get into, yeah. but from that an end- a... Go ahead. Sorry. I well, I was just going to say from an industry standpoint, you know, home and property services, that's a $600 billion a year umbrella. It's everything from um, you know, concrete paving to gutters to insulation, which is a $53 billion industry to dumpsters, you know, it, it's stuff like that. But then we're still doing oil changes. We're, we're doing, uh, you know, I'd say health and wellness, you know, lots of interest in health and wellness. I'd say mm-hmm. fitness is a little bit crowded. So we're kind of you know, staying away from fitness for the most part. Um, yeah, but something that's common right now that that I'd say is the theme is recession. We've been talking about a recession mm-hmm. for 10 years. What if it finally hits and the economy turns south? You know, right. what, what kind of business do you want to be positioned in? You, and I would go back to, hey, what are people going to continue to spend on? It's their kids, their pets, their aging parents, their mm-hmm. homes, their health. So I think businesses that cater to those different sectors stand to do well. And fortunately, you know, franchising represents all of those in a very large way. Right, right. So that might be a good uh, kind of talking point because, you know, we've got an audience of real estate investors, both active and passive. Um, what would be some of those pros that you can find in the franchise world that you can't find in real estate and like brick and mortar real estate? Yeah. It, and I would point out, you know, again, we have all different types of backgrounds getting involved. I mean, I've got We've done a number of deals with real estate brokers, for instance, even we had one, this is a good example. We had one come to us last year and say, Hey, I built up a sizable practice. You know, I'd like to get into property management. I see an automatic adjacency there. I now I can go out and start a property management company, but I've never truly done that before. Do you have anything in franchising? Well, yeah, we've got a couple of really good options. Mm-hmm. And so now a year later, I mean, he's looking to expand. He came to me yesterday and said, Hey, I want to get into another property services business. But wow. you know, for and him, so what, it's just and what that does for that person is you're able to bring them this company and they already have all the systems in place, they already have the strategy in place, they already have the marketing in place, and you're just buying into that, starting it where you're at, and you're you're kind of just starting faster. Essentially, yeah. you're starting on third base instead of first to, to not to be gotcha. cliche on you. I yeah. mean, ultimately, you've got that franchisor on the sideline that's essentially your coach. You've got other franchisees that you can learn from, you know, kind of create some community. Yeah. Uh, they're all running the same thing day to day. You know, you're able to leverage large data sets at the franchisor level where they say, Hey, here are similar markets where we've launched the same business. Here's how we've done from a marketing standpoint, you know, in month one, month two, month three. So you're not having to reinvent the wheel. Here's all the collateral to do that. Um, so really you're in business for yourself, but not by yourself. And, you know, and I'll say not every franchise system is created equal. And that's where we come in to help right. you kind of figure out the, the best ones and where it makes mm. sense and what where the most attractive territories in your market to uh, to target with the franchise as well. And and just because that's kind of a natural question when you're talking to entrepreneurs is, okay, how do you get paid? Right. <laughs> and you're explaining a little bit of that beforehand. Yeah. Um, can you yeah. explain that to our listeners? It's a beautiful model. It's very much like executive search or, or real estate, if you will, where we get funded by the brands um, when a deal gets done on behalf of our clients. And so our clients never pay us a nickel. If they were to go to a franchise system or go through us, they pay the same franchise fee. It's a very clean model, um, no strings attached. Um, you know, And 
you know, we're very thoughtful in the approach we take with our clients. I mean, we work with over 600 different companies, all the different development yeah, groups wild. out there as well. Yeah, it's more than anyone else. We've also been blessed. We do more placements than anybody else in the country. And so wow. it gives us visibility into what's resonating with different backgrounds. <clears throat> why is it resonating? And so we bring those perspectives in combined with what our clients share with us about what they're looking to do and their financial situation, combined with what we know about the market, combined with what's available in the market, because candidly, a lot of good opportunities move pretty fast out there. Mm-hmm. Um, so we bring all that together and then ultimately arrive at somewhere around 10 or 12 opportunities that we review with our clients. Um, and then they pick several to, to go deeper with and we hold their hand through the process. Wow. That's awesome. Um, can you uh, break down maybe the the spectrum of being more passive versus more active and what franchise options are available to people? Yeah. In the past, I would say there were two different options. Now there's three. Um, so one is that active day-to-day owner. I'd say about a third of our clients are looking to do this. Maybe they're leaving the corporate world and um, yeah. But even when they step in as that day-to-day manager of a business, most of them see it as a stepping stone, and the goal is to ultimately build out a portfolio of businesses. And so they'll eventually replace themselves, put a manager in, and then they'll move on to that next thing. Um, and then about two-thirds of our clients get involved with what we call semi-passive or semi-absentee uh, or executive model is another term. That's essentially where you're managing the manager. Um mm-hmm. Now, I don't want to make it sound totally turnkey. It comes down to having a good manager. And mm-hmm. you know, we do have a right. recruiter on staff that helps our clients sometimes find, locate those managers. But you know, if you do have someone good in place, it allows you to kind of continue with your current job or your current interest. Um, and then third, and this is kind of the unicorn, the holy grail out there, if you will. It's not very common, but there are four or five companies that are offering a truly passive model, one of which I'm the process I, I actually just bought into and I'm doing site selection down in Florida for now. But um, ultimately, uh, you know, in these businesses, the franchisor hires the manager, the franchisor manages the manager, they do everything. It's essentially corporate run, mm. franchise fund, franchisee funded. And in that case, oh, you're wow. getting on one or two calls a month, letting the team present back to you. So wow. um, again, you get yeah. that exposure, but you're not active. So um, I wish more franchisors would do it. It's just most aren't set up to do it. Um, so it's corporate run, but franchisee funded. Exactly. That is so, interesting. I mean, so the, the corporate structure must be taking, you know, a larger portion than what other franchises would be. Right. Or. Yeah. In, in the case of these that we're working with, it's about 5% of revenue additional that you would be paying them. Essentially, there's essentially a management company for mm-hmm. you, um, if you will. But you know, if there's enough meat on the bone, it's still a very attractive model. Right. I would assume with some of these franchisees, mo- this franchisee model, um, there may not, I mean, there has to be enough scale and volume in the business to hire the manager to be more passive and manager, you know, manage the manager. Right. So some of it is some of it dependent on what industry you're talking about, the volume and the market associated with that. Um, oh, absolutely. Absolutely. No. And that's where you know, we dig in with our clients. I'd say, you know, a territory like in a services business, some of the ones I mentioned might be defined as 300,000 in population. Now, the franchisor has got all the demographic information by zip code to help you kind of figure out that ideal territory. Probably a third of our clients will buy one territory, a third will buy three, and a third will go big and buy more. You know, we had a client the other day in Philadelphia that, that bought seven territories of a fence business back in the fall. 
Mm. And he and he's running it semi-absentee. He has a day job. He's actually a C-level wow. executive of the company's early 40s. But he put a great manager in place. He came back to me two months ago and said, hey, John, all right, I'm ready to go with the next thing. What do you have? Wow. We looked at some opportunities together. He ultimately um, chose one. It's, it's a great business. And this is just an example of niches. Around construction sites, you temp- oftentimes have temporary walls that go around those, you yeah, know, yeah. It, whether it be in hospitals or malls or airports, hotels. You see these all the time. You don't really think yeah. about them. Well, that's a really cool little business that doesn't have a national player. And so they've proven out in a number of markets that, you know, where a franchise system can come in and they get the bulk buying capability of the walls and such. Mm-hmm. So anyway, he ultimately bought that, bought six territories up there in the Philadelphia market. Well, well, there were five other candidates at the very same time looking at the same market as him that wanted it. But fortunately, my client was a stud and we worked our relationships and helped position him. And ultimately, he got first dibs. I think three others ended up purchasing as well, but they had to purchase around him. So, Mm. you know, it's it's competitive out there. And that's where we're relying on our relationships with these franchisors to kind of position our clients. Yeah. Um, Could you give a couple other examples of what kind of franchise businesses you work with just for our guests to kind of get an idea in their mind? Yeah, gosh, I mean, going across industries, um, you know, I'd say one that we've done a couple of placements with recently outside of property services would be uh, senior home care. Uh, we've got mm-hmm. a great one out there uh, that the, the founder had actually built a 700 location senior care business prior to this. And he said, wow. hey, there, it's a crowded market, but there's great demographics. Everyone's getting older. They want to age in place at their homes. And there's a better model to be had, a better mousetrap. And so he put together this model and, um, you know, it's just, I won't go down a rabbit trail here, but you know, that's an example. Um, like I said, we're still doing a lot of oil changes, not so much in California or Washington. Actually, I did do one in Washington, um, but more so in other states like Texas. <laughs> yeah, right um, out there. <laughs> you know, I, I love, uh, you know, I'll, I'll mention a couple of clients in South Carolina. I think they're good case studies. Um, one client, Lucas, he owns several businesses currently non-franchised. And he came to us and said, hey, for my next rodeo, I'd rather not start from scratch. I've been there, done that. Yeah. I want something more turnkey. He bought a dumpster business. Great dumpster business. Uh, that That's just gained huge market share. Every market they've gone into. Started in Columbia, came back just a few months later, bought Greenville. Then he came back a few months later, bought Charleston. It's just off to the races. It has a growth plan going forward. Um, my client, Nathan, in South Carolina, he was the largest franchisee of two men in a truck moving service. And, oh, uh, oh, wow. And I've heard of them, actually. Yeah. And he does about $30 million a year across maybe 10 markets Ooh. or so. 40 years old, young guy. Wow. Great guy. And uh, anyway, about every year, he and I will do a deal together where he'll put a young guy from his organization, because he's now built up an organization, over another business. We've done one in the driveway space. You know, He just bought one in the plumbing space. He, he's kind of stuck to the property services genre. He's, there's one in a trash smashing business, which is a little bit different. Um, so I, again, I'd say property services, you know, we've had a couple of doctors recently get into insulation. Well, they're not mm-hmm. going to be running the day to day, right? but they love the fact that it's this $50 billion market with no dominant national player. No one can name a brand in there. I mean, maybe a few of your listeners can, but most people couldn't. Right. right. And so you have the opportunity to come in with better marketing, better systems, bulk buying power, national accounts, all of these pieces you can leverage uh, you know, to really hit the ground running and build something special. Yeah, wow. That's very cool. That is fascinating. So let's talk about the financials of franchising. 
cost to get in, barrier to entry, revenue, profit potential. What are some of the the returns that people come to you and say, hey, can I get this? Or or when does it make sense for somebody to take on the hassle or the the, the load to franchise? Yeah. You know, everyone's situation is certainly different. And you know, we want our clients coming in eyes wide open that there is work involved in standing up a business. You know, granted you you know the steps to take, but you know, there yeah. are still still steps. Um investment wise, I mean, we certainly have some massive deals that we're doing, you know, laundromats or what have you. But I'd say on average, probably when you look at the startup cost, uh, franchise fee and working capital all grouped together. Yeah, I'd say most are somewhere in the 150 to 350 ballpark. Uh, mm-hmm. that, that's where a lot of them fall, especially these services businesses. Um, certainly the returns are, are are across the board, but we focus on ones that oftentimes carry a margin, I'd say a net margin, you know, a little north of 20%. Wow. And that's not a 20% return, that's 20% of revenue, which is usually a larger percentage return when you extrapolate it over what you invest in it. Um, right. a, a great example would be a gutter business. It's gutter installation. You know, it's about a $6 billion industry, again, highly fragmented. We've actually had nine clients buy into this, all different types of backgrounds, doctors. We had a Wall Street attorney buy in, um, you know, insurance guys, corporate guys. Um, but with this business, one of the things that attracted them was the returns. And I'll, I'll again, preface this by saying not every business returns this kind of uh, investment, right. but there's a reason why ones like these go on a run. And uh, their average franchisee is doing $1.7 million a year in revenue. They're dropping about 28, 29% to the bottom line. So call it wow. Wow. Five, a little over 500,000. Well, even if you're paying a manager to run the business, there's a lot of meat on the bone there for what amounts to about a $200,000 all in investment. Wow. Um, yeah. Holy so yeah. That's, yeah that's <laughs> substantial. Now, now here's a question just being in real estate, you know, we work with contractors all the time. And uh, there's this national problem that employers are trying to address, which is, you know, a work shortage issue and specifically in the trades, right? Yeah. Yeah. So for some of these services and these, these more trade specific franchises, is that a risk factor that people need to consider as staffing and finding installers to do gutters and different things like that? No, you, you don't have to worry about that. Yeah, of course you do. It's a, uh, yeah, no. I well, was so surprised right, off of that, yeah. right when you said that. I was like, they must be really confident on no, finding people. No, I'd say that's, that's probably the top of the list on conversations that we yeah. have. Is hey, the, I will say from what we've personally seen and what we've heard from our clients, the labor scene has improved over the last two years or so. But that being said, it's still tougher than it's been in the past. I know employment's at a record low right now. 50-year record low is, is what I heard this morning. Um, so, no, I mean, that's where a lot of attention is given. I mean, there's a lot of demand in the market for a lot of these services. I will say most of our clients come to us and say, what's the highest return opportunity with the fewest number of employees? You know, that's, uh, yeah. kind of the, that's, <laughs> that's, what, that's what they're searching for. So, um, yeah, there are different ways to go about it. And, and you can leverage the benefit of a franchise system and that sometimes – where you're shopping for these people, where the pools are of potential labor may not be what you initially think. You know, with Shelf Genie, we found this hiring stay-at-home moms was a great source. We found the hiring Uber drivers was a great source of employees. So sometimes, um, you know, you can learn from others around you. Um, But no, I do think, you know, really the two things that I found our top performers did when I was at Shelf Genie, I looked at our franchise owners across North America. Our top performers were the ones that won this sounds cliche, but it's true. Followed the system. They didn't come mm-hmm. in and try to be the smartest guy in the room, but they followed the system. And number two, they were people that 
were decent with people. They're people that you would want to work for that you'd want to partner with. And so I think it's competitive out there for hiring, but if you're someone that people want to work for and you can do things a little bit better, oftentimes the bar is pretty low in some of these industries. Um, but still, that you're probably going to get more attention there now than you would historically. Well, I think what's appealing, and you alluded to this earlier with one of your clients that you've worked with, is if you come, if I come to somebody like you, and let's say that I already have kind of an entrepreneurial background and skill set, I want to get into maybe a, a parallel industry outside of the brick and mortar, you know, landlord tenant relationship in real estate, um, I could it has the potential to scale very quickly, right? You mentioned that guy maybe in South Carolina or North Carolina that bought into, you know, these, these businesses and then it went well and then was able to buy in markets just a little bit outside of the territories he purchased initially. And now he's looking at a $30 million business. Um, and it all started with one, one kind of touch point, one entry point, right? So do you see a lot of your clients take that route where they scale into more of the same franchise because they're snowballing that success? Yeah. Going back to, you know, if you were to buy, let's say three territories of a business, you probably start your marketing in a couple of zip codes of one of those territories and then expand over time. So, you know, off the bat, buying those additional locations gives you that path to scale that once that is very, very common. Again, two thirds of our clients, I would say buy multiple territories. Um, then, then, you know, and everyone's approach is a little bit different. Some say, Hey, I like, I like the idea of coming, going really deep, let's say in the Atlanta market with multiple opportunities over time. And maybe that means, um, you know, businesses that complement each other on the front end where you can share clients and maybe you get some synergies on the back end and economies of scale of shared resources, let's say, or some look to totally diversify. I mean, for me, the business that I just purchased down in Florida, doing a couple of locations down there it's in the health and wellness space. And mm-hmm. it's it's one of these truly passive opportunities where the franchisor is running it for me. Well, prior to that, all of my investments have been in the property services space personally. And so it gives me a little bit of diversity, where, yeah, not as much synergy. So here's kind of a, a question. Let's say someone's running the gutter business. They franchise it out. They ran it for five years, built it up a little bit. It was a successful little business. What's the exit for an operator mm-hmm. that no longer wants to operate? No, that's a good question. Or yeah. and they don't even want to be passive in it. They just want to sell it or get rid of it. Is the option what's kind of set up in the way of a franchise to sell it or? Yeah, you, you would you can sell it like you would a normal business. Um, you know, technically you have to have the franchisor's approval on that next guy that you sell it to. But the franchisor's interest is that they have the continuity of that business, so they they're incentivized to want that person that you sell it to. So unless it's some knucklehead, I mean, you're, you're going to get approved. Gotcha. Um, but there was an interesting study that was done a couple of years ago. They looked at 2,000 exits across a 10-year period across non-franchised and franchised businesses. And they found in like-kind industries, the franchise businesses traded at a multiple one and a half times non-franchised. Wow. So there's value to that buyer in saying that, hey, for sure, I'll pay a premium, I'll come in, but know that I'm not in business for myself when I do that. Um you know, it's, that's one of the things I love about franchising or business ownership in general, too, is the fact that you've got, um, you know, you're a cash flow, you're yeah. building an asset that you can sell down the road. Yep. And then third, and we kind of touched on this earlier, but there's benefits, there are things you can write off as a business owner you couldn't as a W-2. I mean, yeah. for instance, I pay my kids every year and we have a book that I ship out where they do all the packaging and shipping of the books. Do I pay them a higher rate than probably should? You know, maybe I do, but they, I find other <laughs> things to justify what I pay them. Right. You know, but but ultimately, 
then they have earned income that I put into a Roth IRA for them. Yeah. And I put a little bit into a life insurance policy, which is great to start with kids. That's so, so yeah. that's one way to build generational wealth without just handing a business over. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, that's awesome. That's Those the stacking, the alignment, you know, of, of, of really utilizing the tax benefits that the government has put there to incentivize people to be entrepreneurial and business owners. So um, that's awesome. Hey, one question I have for you before we transition into some of our our show segments. What are the markers of a good franchise versus maybe a non-established one, right? Because it sounds like you can franchise anything. So <laughs> how do you sift out? What are the fundamentals of like, this is good. I wouldn't spend your money on that because they're setting you up to fail. Yeah, great question. Um, you know, I'd say basics like the financial model, uh, you know, the, their historical returns, uh, their competitive advantages within their industry. You know, there's got to be something unique about them. And even if that's on the supply chain side, maybe they get leveraged buying power, maybe they have national accounts, you know, something along those lines. But one of the most important things to me is that franchise or leadership team. I, I mean, that's your mm-hmm. business partner. That's that's who you're, you're you're going to war with. And and I think having someone that you align with on values is great. But you layer in someone that has a track record of supporting successful franchisees, either with that business or in some cases we we're working with an emerging brand and maybe they've brought great experience from their background, brought it in, combined it with the current industry experience. So I want to see that franchise experience, not just industry experience at Mm -hmm. the top. Um, So that's a huge piece to me, I'd say, that oftentimes gets overlooked. And, you know, the challenge is if you go out and start Googling around, you're going to find every brand's putting their best foot forward. Mm -hmm. And and it's so important to really know what's going on behind the scenes and what know who that leadership team is. And, I and mean, we have a, one franchise that came down from Canada uh, about this time last year. Well, if you go to their website, they probably show like 10 U.S. locations. Well, they've got over 100 they are in the process of opening right now. And so you would never know wow. that unless you look behind the scenes. And kind of, they just landed a couple of big national accounts. They just bought a wow. supplier of theirs. You would never know that kind of stuff. So that's where we try to fill in the voids yep. and have our clients understand the whole picture behind uh, you know, the good ones and those that aren't as good. No, I'll, I mean, you know, from a real estate perspective, I can speak to how cryptic it can be to get straight information from a franchise. Like, I can't tell you how many uh, property owners had a, a vacant commercial space and they're like, you know, it'd be great here. You should go approach such and such business. It's national brand, you know, the Chick-fil-A, the hothead burrito. And, you know, a lot of these have been food franchises, but you ever hop on their website and you try and find their real estate development department and you're like, why well, are they even looking into the area? What's their their box and their metrics that they try and they try and check? So if you were looking from a client perspective to buy into a franchise, where do you even begin knowing if that franchise is a good fit for your market or if it's available to you? Mm-hmm. But you being the consultant can expedite that process of research and also guide them to to the right ones that would be the best fit. So, well, and awesome. the fun thing is, ninety percent of our clients end up purchasing something that was never on their radar that they never thought about. And so, sometimes you don't know what you're looking for until it's right in front of you. Yeah, you kind of got me wanting to buy a business. So, <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't know. Um, all right, we're going to jump into our smaller pockets segment here. So, uh, John, why don't you go ahead and tell us what was one of your worst. Uh, deals you've ever been a part of. It could be a real estate deal or it could be a franchise deal. What went wrong? And then what can we learn from it? Yeah, you know, we're fortunate. We've got a really good track record with our clients, but we did have one client. It's the only client I know of that's no longer still in business. And in his case, he lived three hours outside of the market he was buying into. 
which in a lot of cases is okay. Um, the challenge was he was buying into a mosquito business. And I think a business like that really benefits from having some organic marketing on, on, the, on the ground. Mosquito business? Mosquito control business. <laughs> Interesting. Oh, wow. Yeah. Having friends and family in the market would have really helped him just to kind of get the word of mouth and the streets, you know, the, the yard signs and all of that out there in a business like that. Um, and he didn't have that. So he just hired someone in the market. And again, with a lot of models, I think it could have worked. But in his case, you know, he got about three months in and said, hey, this is going to be a little more effort than it's worth, you know, and left on good terms and everything. But learning, I'd say to us as well was one, the mosquito space is very competitive. I, I'm no longer showing that that wow. industry to people, even though there's some neat concepts out there. I just think it's too competitive. You have you already have the entry of multiple big brands and they're competing on price. There's very little differentiation. What so, location geographically is the mosquito yeah. business? Because we're in Northwest Ohio. I don't think there's mosquito businesses around here. Probably in the deep south. <laughs> yeah, he was three hours outside of Nashville. Okay. He was targeting the Nashville market. Oh, wow. and that's a competitive market just yeah. all through So like through. for that, yeah. I mean, do people target like subdivisions and it's like the big sprayers that go out in the evenings and, and or is it more residential? I come to your house yeah. and I set up. It's more residential. I mean, the, the brand that he, and I won't say it on air here, but the, the brand that he bought into is actually the one that I use for my backyard. I mean, they do an outstanding job. Oh, okay. um, yeah, here in the South, you, you do need that. Um, actually, we had a client in Massachusetts that bought in that's doing really well, but for them, it was more the tick tick control piece of it. Yeah. Okay. Um, but the two big learnings to us was, hey, kind of like with food, there are easier ways to make money where maybe there's a little less competition. There's more white space. And then secondly, if you're going to live outside the market, in an industry where it behooves you to live in the market or have friends and family, then that's just one more hurdle you're, you're, you'd have mm-hmm. to circumvent. that. Yeah. You know what would be a great market for the mosquito business? Be at Kenya. <laughs> it's an easy sell. It's an easy you don't sell. need malaria. You don't need West Nile virus. Let yeah. us come treat for mosquitoes. You, you I was may not have the times. supporting demographics, but there's definitely a need. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, that's no, right. It's... Well, I think it's interesting. You guys have learned how to coach even, uh, you know, your clients that you're working with. And sometimes this is kind of the harsh reality. You could be coaching somebody and it could fall on deaf ears. Right. I mean, we kind of go through that in our industry yeah. where it's like yeah. the guidance was there. It just wasn't heated or listened to. And and that can be tough. But no, that's that's great. All right, man, we're going to go into what we call our little nugget. So, John, this is the part of the show where you give our listeners a practical takeaway, piece of advice, a life hack that you've implemented. Uh, it's worked for you and that they can apply to their businesses. Yeah, you know, it's it's a little more generic, but I was once given the piece of advice that activity breeds activity. And I think that so oftentimes people sit on the sideline and contemplate and overthink decisions. And if they were to get in the game and start moving, you know, for me, I like to use the analogy that, you know, oftentimes I'm debating between option A and option B. But once I start moving towards option A or option B, then left option C appears out of left field. And so mm-hmm. I think, you know, getting in motion, getting off the sidelines, taking action is when good things happen. Um, you know, I have a lot of clients that say, hey, you know, after spending some time with you, you know, I love this. I want to get involved someday, but now it's not a good time to get into business ownership. Well, for some people, I mean, their life events, it's not a good time. Mm. But for so many, there's never going to be a good time. Uh, right. Yeah, no, that's true. That is the harsh reality of things. So yeah. I guess I'm, I'm setting you up. Uh, I'm putting the ball kind of on the, on the T-ball stand. What would be a way that somebody could take action to learn more about franchises? 
Yeah, come out to our website, franbridgeconsulting.com, F-R-A-N, bridgeconsulting.com, and sign up for our free monthly newsletter. We put out some great content. Uh, and when you do, my assistant will reach out and also offer you a free copy of our digital uh, book of uh, non-food franchising, uh, either audio or PDF version. So uh, it's an easy read, about 95 pages. Highly recommend it. Most of our clients have read it now, um, but we packed a lot into that. And you know, and then if you'd like to take, to, take the next step and, and learn a little bit more, I'm happy to get on a call with your listeners as well and, and chat more about their situation and, and what could make sense. But yeah, come out to franbridgeconsulting.com. And, um, and certainly, if you, if you prefer to buy the book on Amazon, all profits go to a great uh, nonprofit charity that we support, Hope International. So would awesome. um, mm. know, know that's going to a good cause. Very awesome. Cool. Well, I mean, we appreciate that. What I was excited about today was to offer something to our listeners that may not always be in front of them, but is absolutely a viable option to that diversification topic of, and, and to know that it's not really that far away from real estate. You know, um, there are some parallel services within that industry that could be franchise options. So, um, yeah, thank you so much for coming on today and imparting your wisdom and, and your experience that way. Enjoyed it, guys. Thanks for having me. Awesome. As always, excited that you joined us on another episode of the Reinvest Podcast. If this episode added to your tool belt or left you feeling inspired, go ahead and share it with a friend. Stay tuned every Tuesday for new episodes. And if you want to get in touch with us, go to our LinkedIn or Facebook profiles and shoot us a message. Move farther, reach higher, and grow deeper. See you next time.